2: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he didn't cast expropriate, but he still definitely
0: voted, it's Matt Morgan. I want you both to know that I decided there's only one thing that I'm really scared of during Halloween. Which is? Exactly, yeah, how'd you know witches? Yeah. (laughs) That's that's really weird that you know me that
2: well, that you know- Beautifully done. That's my fear. (laughs) Beautifully done, Matt. Thank you. I, okay, what is is there a word for delighted and ashamed at the same moment? Because that's exactly where I'm at right I now. I think was amazing. that
0: the term is Schultz, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to
2: move on. Dang it, that was good. All right, up next, he did cast an expropriate, so he definitely
1: voted. That's Dana Roach. Uh, if you tune in later today in a separate video, you will see our exclusive preview card provided for free by Wizard of the Coast. It will be an early Halloween surprise. Will it be a trick or will it be a treat? The only way you can find out is to put on your Matt, Joey, or Dana costume and knock on our YouTube front door and find out. Oh man, um, I'm afraid of what Dex
2: people will play when they're in a Joey costume. <laughs>
0: it's just me. I mean, we all know that it's Sir Conrad. Like that—that that is your Halloween oh, yes, costume. Right. We've seen it hanging up in your in your closet.
2: Why haven't I thought of that already? Oh, we're doing that. That's going to be my Halloween costume. I won't be going anywhere, obviously, (laughs) but that's absolutely happening. Ah, this is my favorite intro so far, you guys. Anyway, this is the EDH cast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Fellas, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the most color balanced commanders. Absolutely. So this is sort of part two, uh, from last week's episode where we talked about the commanders that were color skewed they had a severe color imbalance where a deck might you know it is a green and white deck but it contains like six to green cards and only like three white cards here we're going to be talking about the opposite the decks that have a really even distribution of colors between them but before we get to that we do have to give an enormous thank you to Joshly quiet and the folks at the command zone they handle all of the post-production work on the podcast and make it look as awesome as it does and of course we have to thank our
0: sponsors for the show too. Yeah, our amazing sponsors, as always, cardkingdom.com and tcgplayer.com, both bringing you all your Magic the Gathering needs, whether it's cards and singles from the new sets, or you need to get some deck boxes, cardkingdom.com and tcgplayer.com, both are going to be able to take care of you. All you need to do is just go to edhrec.com and find any card that you're interested in, click on that price link, it'll take you right to your vendor of choice, and then get you all squared away and taken care of, and you support the show in the process, or just go to cardkingdom.com slash edhrec.com. And you can also do that as well. So cardkingdom.com and tcgplayer.com are amazing sponsors.
1: You can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash EDH rec You can support us at multiple different tier levels, ranging from joining our discord server, where you can chat with the three of us, as well as, uh, hundreds of other supporters about decks and dad jokes, um, <laughs> You also can submit a challenge to stats at a tier, as well as getting access to EDH rec merch like playmats t-shirts um, and just going to YouTube.com and liking or upvoting our videos also makes a big difference. It helps support the show. That engagement drives our numbers and makes a big difference. So we do appreciate that as well.
0: Well, and it's also the easiest way to make sure you're seeing the preview video as soon as it comes out. So hit the little yeah. bell icon, subscribe, get notifications, whatever you need to do. It's a free way to support the podcast. And that's that's what matters the most is just make sure you see the videos first. That's all. <laughs>
2: You definitely want to be on it first. Uh, Not only that, but we also love to do a Patreon shout out for each of our episodes as well. So, uh, hey, this episode goes out to Mikey Rutherford. Thank you so much for being a patron. Thank you so much for your support. All of you guys are just really, really awesome. We appreciate the support in all of the ways that it manifests. And so, uh, yeah, Mikey, thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys, now let's get to our main topic. We're talking about those commanders that have an even color distribution. They're very evenly color balanced. So once again, this is sort of a continuation from last week when we were talking about the commanders that weren't really all that color balanced at all so now we want to see the commanders that actually do have a really even split between the colors in their decks and it should be really fun but before we get there there are some caveats that we want to throw out just like you know some notes about the data and the reports that we've pulled and you know how we're measuring all of this the first one is simply that we're not going to be talking about any commanders that have less than 100 decks because it it's just i don't know we we have to draw a line somewhere it's not really fun to talk about a commander even if it has an even distribution if it only has like six decks to its name. If that makes sense? It's the kind of thing we've done for a while now.
0: Yeah, this, this caveat hasn't changed. Every time we do data, it's the same old, same old. 100 decks or more, otherwise, get out of here. Right. <laughs> uh,
2: the other thing as well, in this episode, we're not just going to be looking at the number of cards of a certain color within each of these decks. We're actually going to expand it a little bit. We're going to be talking about the number of colored pips in a, uh, in a card's color mana cost as well, because that kind of gives some extra texture, I think, to the data when we're talking all through it. Um, because it really can be a, a factor that plays into how things are balanced out, and that's why we wanted to run the report the w- way that we did. Like a deck might have 30 blue cards and 30 green cards, but there might only be 30 blue pips and there are 50 green pips among those cards. So that's why we wanted to throw that caveat in here too.
1: Yeah, because I think in general it's a little bit tougher to pinpoint why a card is balanced than it is to pinpoint why it isn't it's kind of talking about the absence of something versus something Mm -hmm. um but the the amount of pips is 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 very interesting and and can be very relevant particularly to the lessons we want to take away from this so um yeah there's a a lot of data there about some of these things and maybe we can start here with number 10 on our list which is rolesque apex hybrid there's 290 decks out there um in Rolesk decks, and in I'll quickly read what Rolesk is, um, Rolesk is five mana for a human mutant, and in the commander's cost, there's double green and a blue. Flying Trample, four, five, and when Rolesk enters battlefield, put two plus one counters on another target creature you control, and when Rolesk dies, proliferate, and then proliferate again. So there are fifty-eight total cards of color in rolesque decks, thirty-five blue cards and thirty-seven green cards. Um and the pip distributions are relatively even here as well, forty-eight blue pips on average and forty-six green pips.
0: Now, Dana, the the, the math doesn't add up there correctly. Thirty-five <laughs> yes. plus thirty-seven, that's more than fifty-eight, sir. Uh, You're dealing with hybrid
1: or gold colored cards Uh, in here that have both colors of mana as well.
0: So we can assume that's going to be kind of carrying through all the different commanders we're going to talk about. Okay. Yep. Perfect.
2: Yeah. But that's kind of interesting there that what you just pointed out, Dana, there are fewer blue cards, just a shade of fewer blue cards, but there are more blue pips than there are. Like, that's actually kind of fascinating. That can totally easily happen because you've got cards like, I don't necessarily know if these are being played in a Rolus deck, but like there are cards like Blue Sun Zenith that have triple blue. Like, so there are plenty of those that can mess with the data. So this is a pretty even, like the numbers are kind of counterbalancing each other where the distribution on one side is just slightly like one degree to the left and then on the other side is one degree to the right. So that's kind of helping it balance out. Um, I don't know, just kind of fascinating. What types of monocolored cards are we seeing on Rolex's page? Like, why would this commander be so balanced this way? Why this commander?
1: Um, you know, the, the most popular cards here, the most popular blue cards are Flux Channeler, Tezzeret's Gambit, and Quasi Duplicate. And the most popular green cards are Evolution Sage, uh, Geyer Sage, and Jiang yangu the um, new, I'm sure I said horribly, Um, which is a relatively new Planeswalker. I'm not really sure why this balances out so well, I guess. Do you guys have any theories? Because I was kind of at a loss for this particular commander.
0: Well, my initial reaction is that immediately any counter spells that you're playing in blue decks, those are double colored pips typically, whether it's cancel, whether it's original counter spell or even spell swindle, there's always the double blue in most counter spells. Like there's always going to be stuff like negate or swan song that kind of bring it down. But some of the most played counter spells In the format, have that double blue, and so I think that's going to inflate any blue decks numbers when we're looking at this kind of a report.
1: Well, and and conversely, when I think of green, you think of ramp spells, which tend to be single green. Whether you're looking at like Nature's Lore or or Farseek, you know, Cultivate Kadama's Reach, even Skyshroud Claim, tend to be single green in in the ramp spell. So I feel like that would, combined with what you said, Matt, would tend to lean to maybe a wider spread of blue. but, I mean, blue has a slight edge, but, I, I, but not a large one of 22 pips. Right. I think for me, like, the
2: even distribution between, like, the blue and the green cards that we're finding here, like, this is a deep well. Plus one counters are a pretty... Like a big, obvious mechanic throughout Mm -hmm. all of Magic's history, and these colors have plenty of experience with it. And even if green does have more plus-one counter synergies and cards to provide those synergies uh, to offer, blue is still playing a really interesting role for Roalesque here. I know he's not a crazily, hugely popular commander, but that quasi-duplicate that you mentioned earlier is a clone spell, which is clearly being used to get a copy of Roalesque that will immediately die so that it can use the double death proliferate trigger, and there's a couple of different versions of that type of effect showing up. So even if blue is slightly ousted, like just slightly, by green which can provide the plus one counters. The blue is still playing a significant role here in addition to the fact that it also has plenty of Simic synergies over the years and a lot of proliferate stuff too happens to also be in blue. So the colors are each able to carry a little bit of extra weight in both their own, which allows the colors to balance out so nicely.
0: Well, I think we should move on to a deck that doesn't use either of those colors at all. Oh, Uh, right. So blue and green play zero role in this deck and that deck is Eile Eternal Pilgrim that is the Orzhov uh, Legend legendary core cleric, uh, black and a white. For a 2-3 legendary with Death Touch. you can pay one, sacrifice another creature, you gain life equal to the sacrificed creature's toughness, then you can pay a 1 and an Orzhov, uh, so a white and a black, sacrifice another creature to exile target non-land permanent, uh, and you can activate that ability only if you have at least 10 more life than your starting total. Uh, In the average deck, we see 54 cards that have uh, one or more colors, 37 of them are white cards, and 35 of them are black cards, and actually evens out. There's There's 48 colored pips for both white and black in the average deck that we're seeing.
2: Very, very nicely even. I am, like, I don't know, I like sacrificing my stuff, so, you know. I enjoy a commander that lets me do that. But I'm really shocked to see this one show up on the evenly balanced thing. Because when I play like a sacrifice stuff, I feel like all the sacrifice stuff that I'm doing is going to be you know really centered in the color black. So I'm like, oh, this is an interesting revelation. So what kind of cards are we seeing on here? Why is this one so balanced?
0: Well, if you glance through the page, there's a lot of Soul Sisters types of cards. We uh, also have a lot of newer cards, too, that just came out that are white. You have Speaker of the Heavens, which is one white mana for a 1-1 with Vigilance and Lifelink. And then you can tap it to make... Uh, Angels, if you have seven or more or seven life more than your starting total, but you also have stuff like Griffin Airy, which cares about gaining life. Uh, Angel of Destiny, a card that we kind of bantered about a few weeks ago, uh, being a new card from the, the Return to Zendikar which is all about life gain. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of different individual cards in white that care about gaining life and just help enable that life gain. But then we go over to, whenever you go over to the black cards, that's when you kind of get those payoffs. You get Zulaport cutthroat blood artist effects, which doing all sorts of life manipulation. And then you also have Vito, the new legendary vampire. And then you have the sanguine bond combo cards. And those are double pips too. So it's interesting that the, the white kind of enables the black cards in the uh, typical Eilie deck.
1: Well, I, I think mentioning life gain here is pretty relevant, Matt. Joey talked about sacrifice, but I think the sacrifice stuff here that you tend to lean into, Joey, isn't quite so much what this deck cares about. Right. It's sacrificing things, but it's sacrificing things oftentimes as a way to gain life. And life gain is spread pretty evenly between black and white. And I think that might be why we see this even distribution, because that strategy is pretty evenly shared between those two colors. And I think now seeing this retroactively, it makes Rolesque make a little more sense. That's a deck that cares quite a bit about proliferate effects, which is also something that's being spread relatively evenly between green and blue.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's just f- so funny. Like, I'm actually scrolling through Eilie's page right now, and I see, you know, Soul Warden. I see the Soul Sisters, like a whole bunch of them. Like, my initial impression, my, the first pop of color that I see on the page here is a bunch of white cards. So I wouldn't expect this commander to be very evenly distributed. but it looks like. Black is playing a lot of supporting role in a lot of other ways farther down the page when you finally start to see those payoffs. Uh, so it's just kind of funny, like once you dig a little bit past just the high synergy cards in the top card section, you start to see a, a whole lot more of the, uh, the even carrying of the the color weight, if if that makes sense. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? I don't think that.
1: Makes... Well, and we're also dealing here with, since we mentioned cards that are both of those things, there's a lot of a really great removal options in Orzhov that are going to get you both white and black, whether it's Merciless True. Addiction as a board wipe or things like Anguish and Making Utter End, Despark, um, Mortify that are both colors that people are probably going to be running pretty often. So I think that that also helps distribute those colors evenly. Whereas like you don't see that kind of thing maybe as often in other color pairs where your great removal spells right. are split in the two. Yeah. All right. Great one. Let's move now. That was number nine. We're going to move now to
2: number eight. The number eight most evenly distributed uh, color in terms of its colors. I I know how to do words. Uh, <laughs> our number eight is Rakdos, Lord of Riots. Let's get right to the point. So Rakdos, Lord of Riots, this guy has double black and double red in his mana cost. So he's very upfront about the even distribution there. Uh, he's a 6-6 flying trample demon that you can only cast if an opponent has lost life This turn. And best of all, creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each one life that your opponents have lost this turn. Really cool ability. We see fewer total cards that have color in their mana costs in this particular commander's page, only 44 of them, because this page really does tend to be dominated by a lot of like. Eldrazi, that if your opponents have lost enough life, you can cast them for free, such as like Artisan of Kozilek, for example. But with that said, there are still uh, plenty of black and red cards in the deck, 28 black cards in the average Rectos deck, and 27 red cards in the average Rectos deck. This does get a bit more skewed though when we start looking at the number of pips, where black actually pretty heavily outweighs red here. There are 45 black pips and only 33 red pips in the average Rectos deck, but the cards themselves are very even out. So that plus the number of colorless cards in the deck does kind of cause all of this to weirdly balance out to cause it to be our number eight.
0: Well, and when you look at the, the popular cards here too, it's another case of one color is kind of powering up and enabling the other, other color in what it's doing in the deck so if you look at the popular red cards in Rakdos you have stuff like thermo alchemist spear spewer which all are going to deal damage to all the opponents which kind of makes a ritual type of effect for your big beefy black creatures like rune scarred demon blood gift demon Mm -hmm. all these you know big scary creatures that have a lot of colorless mana requirements in the converted mana cost
2: or villas is another one as well Mm -hmm. that we're seeing a Mm -hmm. whole lot of demons that you want to cast a lot more easily
1: Up next at number seven, we have Lavinia, Zorius Renegade, which is about as low of a CMC as you can get for a commander and still have an even uh, converted mana cost here. One white, one blue for a 2-2 human soldier. Each opponent can't cast non-creature spells with converted mana cost greater than the number of lands that player controls. And whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it counter that spell. So this is a really good one to have in play if your opponent is trying to cast Free Eldrazi off of Rakdos, (laughs) Sword of Riots. Uh, Mean, very mean, (laughs) just like the Azorius. Right, exactly. Um, 52 total cards of color in this deck, 30 white cards and 31 blue cards on average. Uh, The pip spread is a little bit in favor of blue, 41 blue to 37 white. That's not that drastic of a difference. And looking at the most popular white cards here, we have Dranith Magistrate, Hushbringer, Avon Mind Sensor, and Armageddon.
2: Ugh. Oh, yeah, those are I'm I'm glad to see that this is an evenly balanced color. <laughs> those are the cards that White's playing. What about blue?
1: What are we seeing there? Blue we're looking at Narsa Parter of Veils, Mana Breach, and Treasure Mage, which is I- used to go fetch knowledge pool.
0: So the blue is not much better than the white. It's <laughs> it's a pretty scary deck.
1: This is very controly it seems to be. Very
2: staxy. Yeah, this seems like it's real fun to play against. Like I don't know, if you encounter a uh, Lavinia, you basically know from this that like she's going to try and stop you from playing magic at all, but at least rest assured that she's going to have an even number of white and blue cards
1: while she does so. Mm, yes, well, indeed. Well, at, at, at
0: least we know she can even. It's not like she can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. Uh, and this is not a good example of something where, like, the strategy is probably relatively easy, e- evenly split between the two colors. Both white yes. and blue have a lot of control aspects. So you're kind of seeing a natural balance there where you're going to pick the best of each. And it's going to, you know, it seems like break down relatively evenly. I
2: actually, yeah, I love that because in a lot of the other cases that we mentioned, you know, there was, uh, for example, Rakdos, where red is doing the damage to cause the mana or the cost reduction so that black can play the really big powerhouse spells as a follow up. And here it is a bit more like, no, both white and blue are both being used in equal measure to make you have a miserable time rather than (laughs) one color serving a different function than than the other one. Like there's a bit more harmony here in this particular case, I would say. Um, Although I'm not going to feel like it's a whole lot of harmony if I play against it. I don't, I don't. I'm afraid of a Narset and an Armageddon and a Traineth Master Strait and an Avon Mind Sensor all being in uh, all happening at the same time. That sounds and the Knowledge Pool. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's move on. Let's 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 get let's get rid of these flashbacks and and make sure Joey doesn't have yeah. to like cringe and fear the rest of the episode. So the next commander we're going to talk about Comball, ca- uh, Console of Allocation. It is one in Orzov for a two, three legendary human advisor. Whenever an opponent casts. non-creature spell that player loses two life and you gain two life so just taxing everybody really making sure those allocations are coming in you might say (laughs) Uh, so 55 total cards that have one or more colors 34 white cards, and 35 black cards. So right there, right neck and neck. Uh, 43 Mm. white pips are showing up in the average deck, whereas 51 black pips are showing up. Uh, We have some popular white cards like Blind Obedience, Ghostly Prison, Authority of the Consoles, which are all just kind of taxing and making sure it's slowing the game down. And then the black cards are more life gain payoffs. Uh, Sanguine Bond, Painful Quandary, Revenge of the Ravens is another interesting one that shows up on the page too.
2: Not not all of those are life game payouts some of those just hurt
0: yeah, they, they make sure you're stinging if you do literally anything. Yeah. One interesting thing, though, here, too, looking at at least
1: the, the three popular cards, you know, Blind Obedience and Authority both are single white pips. Sanguine Bond, Painful Quandary, and Avenger Awens are all double black. So mm. you, I think that's a little bit, to a degree, what's explaining the pip difference. You may have a relatively even spread between white and black cards, but the black cards seem to skew a little blacker. And
2: it's really a subtle thing there, too, because in this particular case, it it's more punishing than we saw with the other commander that also has a bit of a life gain bend to her. Eile like we mentioned before, there's a, a lot. Th- I, I don't know. We went from Lavinia, who's not going to let you play a whole lot of magic, but now we're talking about combo who's going to punish me if I try to play magic. And I'm just like, is this really an improvement?
0: Are you think it's more of a lateral move? I would much rather, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd rather play against combo for sure. That's true. Because uh, at least I still get to do my things. Whereas Lavinia. And I'm also,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm also just making fun. Like, I want to play against anyone who's got their favorite commander. And if this is one of yours, absolutely, this is great. It's just uh, kind of interesting to see this is the second iteration of a life gain adjacent or life gain uh, intentioned commander that we're seeing here. So that's kind of a fascinating thing for me to take away. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see, will that trope come back? Are there other ones that might surface as we move on to our top five most color balanced commanders? Maybe. But before we get there, we're going to pause real quick because I want to talk about challenging some stats because this is just, I don't know, it's one of our favorite segments here on the show. There's a lot of data on EDHREC, and we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those statistics here. Dana, how about you start us off? What is your challenge this week?
1: My challenge this week is a little better suited for last week's show. Where we talked about the the heavily skewed commanders. And by a little, I mean way better suited for it. Um, but I didn't really think of this until after we did the show and I got actually looking at my decks and I want to talk about the medallion cycle, which are a cycle mm-hmm. of artifacts for two mana. Uh, there's one in each color. So for example, Ruby medallion I'll use for an example, it says red spells that you cast cost one less to cast and if you look at all of the medallions on edh rec and look at their top commanders they are exclusively mono color so the top commanders for ruby medallion are all mono red the top commanders for pearl medallion are all mono white etc and that makes sense you would assume that in a mono white deck you're going to primarily be casting white spells except for the artifacts you're casting, basically. So the reduction should be really, really, you know, mm-hmm. something you can take advantage of very frequently there. I decided to to verify if that was actually true, at least among my own decks. So I went and checked my two monocolor decks, and then the three decks I had that skewed most heavily, the, the three two-color decks that skewed most heavily towards one color. Mm-hmm. My mono white deck had 30 spells that were affected by the white medallion, my Azorius deck had 31 spells that were affected by the Sapphire Medallion. Huh. So Sapphire Medallion is better in my Azorius deck than Pearl Medallion is in Mono White. And that was the bottom, two. If I go up to my, my Izzet deck, had 32 spells affected by Ruby Medallion. My Mono Blue deck was at 33. And my Gruel deck, 48 yep. spells in that deck were affected by the Emerald Medallion. Yeah. So I'm not saying that it's 100% true, but don't just assume that the medallion cycle only works well in a monocolor deck. Far and away, the best deck I have with the medallions is a gruel color deck where I wasn't running it. And of the five I looked at here, the one that is affected the least is a monocolor white deck.
2: Not just that, Dana. I'm going to take, take what you put down and pick it back up because I also have played uh, the Emerald Medallion in my Titania deck because I have very few artifacts in that deck. It's a lot of green spells. Like, the mm-hmm. overwhelming majority of cards in that deck will be affected by that. And maybe it's something to do with the landfall strategy or just, sure. as we saw last week, how overwhelmingly dominant green tends to be in, in decks when it is present among them. But, like... I, it, it's just always so fascinating to me that like I got more use out of the Emerald Medallion in my mono green deck than you see potentially like Ruby Medallion in a mono red yeah. Duretti deck, which is, it seems like a great place for it. It's a Duretti deck. It's mono red. It's artifacts. But there are so many artifacts in the deck that I've seen Ruby Medallion do almost nothing because there are so many artifacts that it doesn't reduce the cost of. So like yeah. there's kind of a, a twist to that too. There are plenty of monocolored decks that have such a density of colorless spells that the medallions don't help as often as it seems they should. Yes, yeah, fascinating stuff. Uh, I, okay, cool. Matt, uh, let, let's get to your challenge before we before we get too enamored by the medallions.
0: Well, my challenge this week is going to be for Zexar, the exemplary. That is the Sultai Hydra Tribal uh, commander that we're seeing with Death Touch. You can tap to add two mana of any color. And then the key ability here is whenever you cast a spell with X in its mana cost, you create a zero zero 0 green Hydra creature token. Then you put X counters on it, where X is the, you know, whatever that X was for in that spell. The card I'm challenging already is played in a significant percentage of decks for Zexara, but I think it should be even higher, and that card is Simic Ascendancy. So currently, Simic Ascendancy is being played in 50% of Zexara decks, which is great, but this card is so insane, folks. So insane. So for one green and one blue, only two mana, which means it comes down early and does lots of work, you can pay one in simic to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature but the ability here went of whenever one or more uh, plus one plus one counters are put on target creature or a creature you control put that many growth counters on simic ascendancy and then if you ever have 20 or more at the beginning of your upkeep you then win the game it is so easy folks to get tons and tons and tons did i say tons i mean tons tons of counters on Simic Ascendancy just for casting X spells. Because with Zaxara on the battlefield, you're gonna get five, six, seven, you know, growth counters on Simic Ascendancy. It is so easy, folks. And this being an enchantment, it's a little hard to deal with sometimes. It is going to be such a powerful card. I know it's it's 50% of decks already. Pump those numbers up. It, it's just such a great card. And you can just use it for its activated ability. Put those counters on creatures that you control. And if you look at the average deck, there's a lot of hydras. There's a lot of X spells. It is not going to be hard to win games with Simic Ascendancy.
2: Just by casting regular old
0: Just X by spells. playing That's...
2: the game. I, and, and verify once again for me, Matt, was it tons? Tons, tons. tons. I tons, believe that cool. it, it might be metric. It may not be, but it is tons. <laughs> metric dunce absolutely all right let's move on now to my challenge my challenge comes to us from one of our patrons so jimmy the base this one is for you jimmy the base writes to us to say a challenge i have is for feather the redeemed 70 percent of feather decks are running sunforger which while that number should be higher in my opinion is not the stat i'm challenging the number that baffles me is magnetic theft only appearing in 34 percent of the just over 2000 feather decks that include sunforger That number should be a lot higher. And as a reminder, Magnetic Theft is the one mana red instant that lets you attach an equipment you control to one of your creatures. And since that targets a creature with Feather's ability, it would return the Magnetic Theft back to your hand. So you can repeatedly unattach the Sunforger, find a cool card, maybe even the Magnetic Theft if you want, to then cast, and then use the Theft to consistently reattach the Sunforger so that you can get all the spells that you want whenever you like. These numbers also strike me as being a little bit off Jimmy the Base, so well spotted. Love your challenge.
1: That is a very good pick. Thank you very much, Jimmy the Base, for submitting it. Let's move on to our uh, next card, number five, which is going to be a Zony Thousand-Eyed. Azoni uh, is two black, black, green, green. So there's already some even pip distribution there in the casting cost for a two, three elf shaman. Azoni uh, has undergrowth. When Azoni Thousand Eyes enters the battlefield, create a one, one black and green insect token for each creature card in your graveyard. And you can spend a black and a green and sacrifice another creature and you gain a life and draw a card. So there are 59 total cards of color in Azoni decks. 38 black and 39 green, real close distribution there. And the pip count is relatively close as well, 49 black to 45 oh, green oh. pips. Honestly, I'm glad to
2: see green show up here. <laughs> like just green isn't dominating in this particular case like we saw it doing so consistently in our last episode. So uh, I guess this just means that Golgari is the best,
1: right?
0: <laughs> that, I, I, that's an that's yeah. inappropriate yeah. conclusion right there. That's totally
1: wrong. <laughs> that, that is a conclusion. <laughs> It's just not the. It's not a good one. Uh, it's definitely an interesting deck, though. Um, if we look at the most popular black cards here, we're looking at Stinkweed Imp, uh, Stitcher Supplier, and Whisper Blood Liturgist, which are cards that we probably don't see that often. Come up in other decks so that's actually kind of interesting and even in the most popular green cards we're not getting the traditional just green ramp spells here we're looking at Seder wayfinder kessig cage breakers and splinter fright hmm. a pretty good number of cards in both colors i would
2: say that help you fill the graveyard without needing to rely on the things dying naturally
1: yeah it's once again a strategy that's split relatively evenly between the two colors that are featured in the commander yeah and i
2: mean man if i don't love dredging up some stuff so Thumbs up to you, Azoni. Well done. Well done. I approve. I like you at number five. All right, uh, but now let's move on to number four. Hey, Matt, who do we got going on at number four? What is our number four most color-balanced commander?
0: So coming at number four, our number four, the number four, as <laughs> as you would put it, Xantcha, uh, Sleeper Agent, the one in Rakdos, so black and a red, uh, legendary minion for a 5-5, five five. and when Xantcha enters the battlefield, uh, basically you give it to an opponent of your choice. That's pretty pretty nice of you, actually. Not very Rakdos. Oh, but it turns out, Xantcha attacks each combat and can't attack its owner or planeswalkers its owner controls and then anybody can pay three mana and zanch's controller loses two life and then they draw a card well the person that activates it draws a card and anybody again can't activate that ability so we're seeing 47 cards that have one or more colors and it's an even split 28 and 28 for black and red where there's 38 black pips and 34 red pips in the average deck Uh, and it's kind of an interesting looking page there's stuff like shiny impetus coming in for red curse of opulence Hmm. uh, mana geyser all a bunch of kind of wacky and zany uh, red and black card or red cards i should say but then the popular black cards uh, we have parasitic impetus and then vow of malice so those are some interesting cards that don't see a lot of play very often
2: yeah this is another commander like especially when i look through its Edhrec page and i see its high synergy card section i see red card i see red card i see red card i see red card and just a, like a sprinkling of black cards in there so i'm also very surprised to see that this is a commander whose color distribution is actually very very even because a lot of what i'm seeing tends to be like a lot of like there's the curses or the impetus impet impetai those uh, that show up here but then also a lot of other cards that help encourage and force combat like disrupt decorum and other such cards that help you know force people to attack each other which is a very red thing like looking at this page I really would have suspected that this was a commander that finally lets red be the dominant color but it turns out, no, I guess black is fulfilling so many other support roles, maybe, or, or doing something else that is helping this commander, like, just balance out instead of letting one color run away with the entire game.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if part of that isn't some there are some things that black does so, so well that no matter how much you want to run a bunch of red cards, it's really tough to. Pass up black's really good creature removal or black's really good draw, for example. Mm. Um, So I I wonder if that doesn't balance it out. Red is doing a lot of things a deck wants to do, but a lot of your utility here winds up being in black, perhaps. That too, I guess, like after the initial
2: wave of like the force combat red cards like that happen up front... I'd honestly I bet that those Ren cards they run dry really quickly in all of the other sections if we were to start looking past the original high synergy section. And that's what allows Black to sort of fill up the rest of the deck. Um and that will help balance out the colors because Black is doing the job of like possibly mana acceleration or just getting other consistent forms of card draw and removal, honestly, is a yeah. thing that none of those force combat cards are really doing. Though then again, maybe you don't want too much removal because you're gonna force your opponents to attack each other, and I would like it if Matt Attack Dana more often instead of
0: me. <laughs> which, Sorry, yeah. I got which, which there. but that is absolutely true, though. Like, you probably don't want a ton of removal if you're trying to force opponents to be to attack each other. Like, disrupt sure, decorum right. is fantastic on a full battlefield, but it doesn't really do anything if you know there's three creatures for one player and then nobody else has anything else. So, I, I don't like a ton of removal in the Zantia decks if you're trying to do this, you know, mass goading of everybody else
2: strategy. Though you might need removal to make sure that she doesn't get blocked and killed so then there's actually true. that so there's plenty of room for uh, you know that color to be flexible amidst what is probably a it looks like an impressive well at first of red force combat cards but that's probably a smaller well of cards than we initially see so that might be why those cards are allowed to why those colors are allowed to balance themselves out in addition to the fact that Dana you point out black is so good at doing the things that it's hard to outpace it like people should play more black I love the color black Sir Conrad's really amazing I think Joey, I'm getting distracted just... again we should probably
0: move on Yeah, you, you tell us about this next commander Tell me about all the black cards in that deck.
2: Uh, Okay. Well, that's just rude because you know that there aren't any.
0: That is true. So t- what, what, tell, is- tell us what cards are in
2: the deck, <laughs> <net>. <laughs> Yeah, so our number three here is Azor the Lawbringer. This is the 6 mana six-six Sphinx. It is a flying creature. It came from the Ixalan block, I believe. When Azor the Lawbringer enters the battlefield, each opponent can't cast instant or sorcery spells during their next turn. And whenever Azor attacks, you may pay the mana cost of a Sphinx's Revelation to do a Sphinx's Revelation, so you can draw cards and gain life by paying three and X really cool if you can pull that off, to be honest. That could be a very spicy ability if you bump a bunch of mana into it. So in Azor's average deck, we're seeing roughly around 51 cards that have a color in their mana cost. So, you know, tons of artifacts, tons of lands, but 51 on average, white and or blue cards, 34 of them are going to be white and 34 of them tend to be blue so very very nicely even right there 34 for one and 34 for the other the pips are also really really close we've got 48 white pips on average in the uh, deck here and 51 blue pips on average in the deck here so getting really, really lined up very nicely for Azor here.
1: Yeah. um, This looks a little bit like the Lavinia deck we saw before. I guess the spells are a little bit different, but it's playing the same way where the the concern is very much control, and those are two things that white and blue tend to share relatively evenly. Blue has the Mm -hmm. counter spells. white has a really good pinpoint removal, and um, if the exact flavors you're picking in this deck might be a little bit different than, than they are in Lavinia, you're still picking those same flavors from white and blue
2: (laughs) well yeah what kind of flavors are we that's such an interesting way to refer to cards what what type of flavors are we seeing among the cards that show up for azor Uh,
1: among the white cards we're seeing things like swords of plowshares ghostly prison smothering tithe approach the second sun and Mm. in blue we're seeing counterspell propaganda and cyclonic rift as the ones at the top of the list that's some very classic good stuff cards, basically, like Smothering Tide and Rift. Very staple
2: yeah. yeah, Yeah. So not potentially too much individual identity to Azor here, which kind of allows those colors to, to breathe a bit as they each provide their best offerings to it.
1: Yeah, and, and I also wonder if because of both the casting cost of Azor and the cost required to cast that Sphinx's Rev on the body, if... Um, people building the deck aren't a little bit more cautious to make sure they don't go too heavily in one direction and And, and not have the mana available to, to do that spell or ability if you know You're using all your blue mana up on a deck that's heavily skewed blue mm. You run the risk of not being able to both do the blue things you want to do and use the Sphinx's Rev ability So there, there might also be that as a factor where people are intentionally balancing this deck to best use the abilities. That makes a lot of sense to me. I would kind of suspect,
2: looking at Azor, that it could potentially lean into a Sphinx tribal deck, which would then allow blue to like dominate because a whole bunch of the Sphinxes are blue and there's not, like, I can't think of a mono white Sphinx. There might be one, but like, Petra Sphinx from Legends, Joey, and it doesn't How have. How do you know these things? And it doesn't have flying. How do you know these things? I should have known. I should have known. But it is just like, as you noted, people are sort of intentionally avoiding that. Like, this isn't, mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be a Sphinx tribal commander. Um, It just, a uh, cool thing that we're noting that, uh, people are able to do, but it does feel very intentional, like you stated. All right, let's move now to our next, our number two. Hey, Matt, I see this as a Selesnia commander. I bet you are bursting at the seams to talk about it.
0: You might say I'm bursting at the seams, because uh, it's just a great commander. Uh, number two, Captain Sisse, which is the uh, two and Selesnia colors uh, for a 2-2 legend. You can tap and search your library for a legend or legendary card put uh, and, and put it into your hand. You tutor up a legend just for tapping Captain Cisse. Uh It's Pretty great. Pretty amazing. Uh, 32 green cards, 32 white cards. Even split. It's all about fairness, all about being balanced. That's what green and white do so well. Uh, (laughs) Even the color pips are pretty close. 42 white pips and 40 green pips coming in. 53 cards you know, coming in with one or more colors and split right down the middle. It is so great to see. And it's also a pretty interesting deck when you look at some of the most popular cards in the decks. Uh, Urza's Ruinous Blast, the blow up everything that isn't legendary type of uh, board wipe. Elish Norn, uh, Linvala, Keeper of Silence. It's a pretty mean deck, but it's also surprisingly fair because everything's a legend. But then you also have a bunch of green cards that care about legends too. Uh, Dana has a, a very... You know, fond card here. Uh, Rucky History of Kamigawa pays it off for, you know, casting all those legendary cards. Dose in the Fallen Leaf and Kamal's Druidic Vow, kind of that Genesis wave mm. for legends, really. The legendary sorcery, I should say.
2: I Matt, I got to You said some stuff in, in that <laughs> monologue there. Like you I said, said that some things and pretty, some stuff, even. You said that, that like, these cards are fair because they're all legends. That doesn't make them fair. That makes them powerful. And you also said that green and white love to be balanced. Bro, did you even? Were you even in our last episode? Like, green is, it I'm, has a tendency I'm, to. really I'm dominate.
0: looking at the show notes that you made, Joey. You made these show saying. notes. And it's, I'm, I'm looking at it 32 and 32, unless you lied to me. And you're not a liar. Got him. He got him. No,
2: uh- I would just submit that this is more a contribution of white's equalizing factor than it is a contribution of green not having enough to offer.
0: Does that make sense? I I think they both have great things to offer. All the colors have great things to offer, and they're all doing a great job. I owe you. I'm just, but like this
2: also speaks to like both of these colors are pulling equal weight here because there are so many good legends in both of these colors. Like we can certainly, you know, nitpick at some of the issues that white may have as a color generally in commander, but we've actually seen a whole lot of white showing up in this top 10 list. And here is no exception where it's holding its own with green, which was a very dominating color that we saw in our last episode. And it's because white's legendary creatures like Elish Norn, those are really good. The legendary spells, those are really good. You just need enough support for it and to say is able to provide that type of support so i'm just loving what i'm seeing here i just don't want you to say that it's all about the balance because it felt like this was a balance that we had to work out for a while after last episode when green was just mopping the floor
1: with everything that 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 was last week yeah. i wonder if this isn't a case where u- unlike say orzov where we're looking at black and white sharing responsibilities kind of evenly. I wonder if it's in a situation where white makes up for the things that green is so dominant at. By doing the things that green doesn't do at all in, in this case board wipes and targeted mm. creature removal So you might go heavily in green in all those really really good green cards But green can't run, you know, sorts far as the plowshares kind of cards or path to exile or it can't run The wrath of God or the austere commands for board wipes So I feel like I wonder if that isn't the situation here where instead of being a balance it's balanced by doing the things the other color has no, has no overlap into.
2: Yeah, that's a great theory as well. I, I love it, and I'm just I'm just happy to see uh, how, how well it's doing. And, and Matt, <laughs> I don't know it, when when I get happy about a Silesnia commander around Matt. Instead of getting happy about the black commanders that I always love to play, I just hope that that brings you joy as much as it does bring you. It,
0: it, uh, it warms my heart. Balance. It brings in, It's balance. <laughs>
2: that's what it's all about. Balance. All right, let's move now to our number one most evenly color balanced commander, Dana.
1: Who do we got? We have Ineaz, the Gale Force, um, three and blue blue for legendary creature, Jin. This is, I believe, the first commander we have that's mono in terms of casting cost, but it's not a mono color commander because in addition to being a four four flyer, um, Ineaz has a multi-colored activated ability. So for two and a hybrid white or blue mana, attacking creatures with flying get plus one plus one until end of turn and also has an ability whenever three or more creatures you control with flying attack, each player gains control of a non-land permanent of your choice, controlled by the player to their right. So despite being mono blue in the casting cost, this is also a uh, Azorius commander, something we've seen a couple of times in this list beforehand
2: yeah another azorius commander is making I wonder if there's a a thing to be drawn about how evenly distributed azorius tends to be um
1: yeah yeah i mean when you see it pop up this often definitely it's something to consider Um, we're looking at a pretty even distribution all the way through here 34 white cards 34 blue cards so a perfect split there and even the pips 44 white and 45 blue. Dang. So as close as you can get without being an even match.
2: Dang. And that is great. And like this is a flying tribal deck quote unquote. Uh so I full confession this is actually a deck that my mother plays and it's just really cool. She really likes flying creatures and she <laughs> loves hitting people with them. Um but there's also like having helped to build this deck with her. I know that there's great flying creatures in both colors. Like really great flying cards for both colors. So this is such a natural strategy for for both colors to be pulling equal weight, basically. Well,
0: and it's interesting too, because some of the white cards that you see played very commonly have multiple color pips in there. Uh, Safara is a legendary angel with, what, what is it, triple white? It's yeah. very hard. Well, you're never paying triple white. You're paying one white and then tapping a bunch of creatures to cast Safara. Uh, but you also have stuff like Magus of the Moat and Spirit Bonds. Those are also fairly commonly played cards. But then you also have, you know, the blue cards too. Don't forget about blue. I know it's it's fun too, but uh, <laughs> Warden of Evos Isle, Favorable Winds, uh, Reconnaissance Mission is a very powerful card. But a lot of those cards, you know, they only have like one, maybe two color pips when you're looking at the average Ineas deck.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, then there is also Gravity Shift, though, which is just a...
0: Heavy hitter. Wonderful, like very... Heavy hitter.
2: Very, very swingy. And then you've got, like, the Steel Plume Marshall, I think, which also came from Jumpstart. There's just a lot of stuff that both of these colors are providing to to this strategy, where you've got plenty of good flying creatures on both of the colors and also plenty of good support, where blue can provide you with cool card advantage and white can provide you with excellent removal. So it's just a very nicely balanced strategy. And I'm just glad to know that my mom is... Beaten all of us with a really well-balanced
0: <laughs> deck here, I guess. So Joey, after we've kind of gone through this top 10 list of the most color-balanced commanders, I noticed a few things. So last week we saw green was just overwhelming. If, if green was a color in a deck, it was pretty dominant in that deck. Uh, where red was kind of underrepresented, do you think that was holding true when we're sticking with this, this color-balanced list?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like we didn't see a whole lot of red here and we didn't see a whole lot of green here when we were looking through all of those. But we saw a lot of white. I think six of the commanders we just talked about were white. Um, And I just think that that speaks to the fact that white seems to have a very balancing effect on the colors that it is paired with. Uh, Joey,
1: uh, uh, technically balances band.
2: I Oh, (laughs) good. We can probably edit that that if if you're (laughs) – don't want to have that on, on video? You are so silly. How okay, anyway? Uh, so yeah, no, just it's just that decks that include white tend to not go overboard with it, but also you know, they don't let it necessarily play like just a teeny tiny role either, which I think is really cool. And actually, like we saw a lot of Azorius on that top 10 list, guys. That rabbit hole goes a lot deeper. Actually, I went and looked through the top 50 commanders that we were seeing on this color balance list, 14 of the top 50 commanders. Were Azorius colors 14 of them? That's like nearly all the Azorius commanders.
0: I don't know if it's nearly <laughs> all of them, but yeah, having, a lot of them. <laughs> having Azorius occupy such a significant portion of this list that that is pretty telling that, you know, there's there's a lot of give and take going on. And we, we've we said several times over the history of this podcast, kind of ruminating that white is probably the best support color because it's right. able to kind of build up what other colors might be doing, whether it's green with, like D- Dana said, White has the board wipes. White has the removal. Where green has the big beefy creatures. Or with black, you know, white is enabling with the life gain, but then the payoffs come in black. So it it is interesting to see that in the actual data as well.
2: Yeah, and uh, actually, so we talked about the uh, you know most balanced guild. There, uh, here's something funny about the least balanced guild. And Matt, this one might ring true for you. I had to go all the way to number 62 before I found an is it. Commander, and that was Riel the Everwise. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. It isn't necessarily that green is always so dominant, but in this case, I mean, Riel the Everwise is like almost like it's an evenly balanced deck. But like, I feel like Is it tends to have that case where like if you play a mystics deck, it's practically a mono blue deck.
0: You know, they're a bunch <laughs> like, of silly nannies. Those Is it mages, we don't need them. Well, You're we do, but you've got a real deck. I, I do. And it's, but, it, and it went with Riel specifically, it, it makes sense why real is so balanced because red has a lot of discard effects like faithless looting or desperate ravings, which trigger real's ability. Right. Uh, whereas blue only has a few of those types of effects. So I understand why real would be so balanced. But I remember when I had uh, my Niv-Mizzet Perrin deck, that was basically mono blue.
2: Yeah, and you say so balanced. It's more balanced than other. Is it commander more balancer, <laughs> more balanced? <laughs> it's not so balanced, but it is more more balanced. More ish uh, balanced. That's that's fun. But you know, we saw so many two color commanders on the top ten list, but we didn't actually see a whole lot for the other color combos, like three color or four color or even a five color, uh, because you know more colors means it's a lot harder to balance. But let's talk about some of those. Like let's look through and see what is the most balanced three color commander. Dana, what do we got there when we start looking at other color combos?
1: the most balanced three color commander is Derevi Imperial Tactician so the um, bird that you can cast from your command zone without a command tax essentially <laughs> uh, very often in a stacks deck um, at least years ago I, it doesn't see a ton of play necessarily these days just maybe based on reputation but we're looking at 58 cards of color in a Derevi deck pretty evenly spread 25 white, 22 blue and 25 green there So it's actually kind of nice here because we didn't have to go intentionally searching too
2: far. Derevi is actually number 11 on that list. So it was right there, nearly made uh, the the top 10. But let's keep on going intentionally searching. When we expand it
0: to four color, I'm curious, who's the most
2: balanced four color commander?
0: Matt, who we got? So in four color, as far as balance goes, we have Saskia the Unyielding, which is the uh, no blue, which is the perfect color combination (laughs) uh, four color legend. (laughs) Uh, And Saskia is the one where you get to choose a player and whenever uh, your creatures deal combat damage to any player uh, they also deal that damage to the chosen player pretty fun strategy Uh, but we're seeing 55 cards that have one or more colors in them there's 28 white 15 black 18 red and 29 green so a fairly even distribution when you think about it in terms of four color decks and everything going on there you know white and green are right there neck and neck and then the same as with black and red.
2: Yeah, that's not the type of distribution that we saw last time when no. we were looking at like Omnath Locus of Creation, for example, where it's just like green is a bunch and there's like a small handful of
0: Green, green cards. cards go
2: brr. <laughs> I mean, It's true though, but even then here we're seeing sort of a microcosm for it where like red is getting a bit of a short end of the stick there and green is really a whole bunch of green cards, but it is still the most balanced of the four colors. And then when we go looking for a five color commander, I feel like this one was obvious, like I had an inkling, maybe everyone has an inkling currently listening. The most color balanced five color commander is Ramos Dragon Engine, the commander that gets plus one counters and can turn those counters into mana, and he gets those whenever you cast spells that have multiple colors. So in this particular case, Ramos loves to have a nice even color distribution because if you cast a bunch of mono green cards, that's not going to give him a whole whole ton of plus like plus one counters. So he really likes to have a lot of multicolored cards here. We're seeing like 53 three cards on average in his deck that have, you know, one or more colors. 23 of them tend to be white. 23 of them tend to be blue. 26 of them tend to be black. 17 of them tend to be red. And 32 of them tend to be green. But you know what? That's actually pretty decent for a five color commander. That's a nice spread.
1: Yeah. And this one actually makes like you said, complete sense. The only other thing that I could think of would be maybe five color Niv Mizzet that also rewards you for for spreading out your colors a little bit. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's absolutely a logic here just baked right into the commander. Right. It's not allowing just green
2: strength of ramping to help you color fix to completely take yep. everything away and like it runs away with it. Yeah. So that's nice to see. Uh, another cool thing, like while we're talking about other observations among this data, like I keep on looking back at our, you know data that we saw for our last episode where we noticed that there were some tribes that sort of like zombies for example was very heavily skewed towards black and then blue played a very supporting role and so there were a lot of zombie commanders among the most color imbalanced and like that was actually true for a whole bunch of tribes guys can i tell you when i tried looking for tribal decks among the color balance stuff like it was hard to find it was bizarrely hard to find. Like, I thought that there would be a lot among the top 100 just because it would be, like, an accuracy by volume because of how popular tribal is as a strategy. Among the top 100 most color-balanced commanders, I can only find three commanders that have an explicitly tribal ability. Only three. Only three of them. Like, what? What three are, are they, three? Joseph?
0: They are... Do tell. Do tell.
2: <laughs> they are Gallia, the Seder tribal commander, Arabo, cat tribal, and Kangi, bird tribal. So, again, Azorius, because, of course. But, like, that floored me i was very surprised to see that i really thought that we would have seen other tribes that are having both colors share the weight equally
0: but we're just not i mean i i am surprised that there isn't a lot of stuff going on out there and i think any might qu- kind of qualify as flying tribal And um, when we did see guess, it was the yeah. most balanced because you have cards like empire and angel uh thunderclap wyvern which are are you know they have both a white and a blue pip and they act as a lord mm-hmm. for all of those flying creatures but I do think with all these other tribal, you know, decks that we're looking at, a lot of Lords typically are mono-color. You know, you, we've had blue-white merfolk before, and we've had blue-green merfolk, but all the Lords, like Lord of Atlantis, they tend to be mono-blue. Mm. Same with, you know, goblins, you know, that you might have red and green goblins with Wart the Raid Mother, you might have black and red goblins with uh, Grenzo, but all the Lords again, like Goblin King, are mono-red. So I think that's one reason why we see such a color skew for tribal decks when you don't typically see it outside
2: that's a great observation matt that makes a, a, a you a plus you <laughs> did come to class I, did it. Do I, get,
0: I, I want a gold star i don't want an a plus a gold star well I,
1: I would say in addition to that Um, You know, these days, especially tribes tend to have the ability to flex into multiple different colors. Mm -hmm. So looking at zombies, we talked about this as well, showing up in white, showing up in red, showing up in blue, in addition to the traditional black. So I wonder how much of that is also when they make a really bomb tribal card, that's going to be fantastic they wanna center it primarily on that main color. That way the the really great black zombie can go in the black white zombie deck and the black red one and the black blue one. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I I think that's probably something that factors in here as well.
2: Yeah. Okay, Dana, you also get an A plus yeah. well well spotted. <laughs> well done. That makes, I, I love it. But okay, so after having gone over all of this, I just, I don't know, kind of want to close out with some final questions about sort of what to do with this information. Like we just went over a bunch of commanders that have color balances, but like the idea of a color balance is itself just kind of interesting to me. For myself, you know, it helps inform my mana base decisions. Like if I've got an even number of white and blue cards and also white and blue pips, then like my instinct is to reach for a pretty even distribution in the mana base of an equal number of planes and islands or you know supporting non-basic lands there but then that kind of makes me wonder about the colorless non-basic lands which don't help either of those colors like if your colors are more skewed or if they are more balanced does that make you guys feel more comfortable or less comfortable in either of those situations to play lands that don't produce either of those colors at all i don't know how are you feeling about how non-basic colorless lands will fit into the conversation about? even distribution of colors.
1: I I can see it both ways. I think there's an element of personal play style here at at, at play as well. Um, You know, when your colors are perfectly balanced, then you're less likely probably on your turn to need a ton of blue or a ton of white. You're going to use some blue, some white. Maybe that makes it slightly easier to run utility lands. That's how I would tend to look at it. But I also understand the the thought process where you say, I'm going to need blue and white equally, and I don't know what I'm going to need since I've got such an even mix of colors, so I mm-hmm. want less utility lands. I, I, I can see both those arguments, and I think a lot of it might well come down to both personal playstyle and your particular deck design.
2: I think that I fall in that latter camp. I think a reliquary tower has a greater chance of getting in my way if my deck is very evenly balanced compared to if I have like a ton of green cards. Like I've got so many green cards that the colorless pips maybe don't, bother me as much because i already know that i only need a few of whatever my other color is for those cards to be able to be cast as well i think that's where i fall
0: well and for me i kind of am on the opposite side of that if i'm only playing two colors i'm a little more open to playing kind of a a loose mana base because with two colors you can get away with playing a lot of basics too unless you have a very mana hungry and you're playing you know 60 you know pips of any given color which is very mana hungry but in my three color decks i really tend to shy away from playing too many utility lands especially ones that don't produce any colored mana uh, it's just, for me, especially when I've been looking back, I circled back to my Ukima and Kazur deck, for example, and reestablished everything, and I realized I had a lot of blue mana-producing lands, but I actually don't have a ton of blue in the deck. Like, there are some support colors, but it's a largely black and green deck, so I had to kind of retune my mana base a little bit, uh, change the amount of basics I was playing, and I cut a few of my dual lands and just focused mostly on black and green. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in that deck still, it might be mostly blue and Uh, or excuse me black and green i'm still not playing any purely colorless lands
2: yeah Uh, and and two i guess for me like i want to leave with the idea that it is probably okay and in some cases maybe even correct to still have an unbalanced mana base like mana Mm -hmm. production skews more heavily towards one color even if you have an even distribution of colored cards and colored pips among the colors in the deck like i think that there are plenty of situations where that's perfectly fine because as we saw with a bunch of the commanders that we were discussing here the colors may be evenly distributed among the types but they might be like doing different roles like one of them might be the color that sets the deck up and then the other one was the color that helps the deck do its thing once it's been set up like we saw with life gain for example where white is Getting you a bunch of life, and then black is helping you turn that life gain lethal later on. So you might be correct to include more white sources so that you can get started in the first place, and then you'll have drawn, you know, your black mana sources later on in the game. That's just one type of example. So I, I just want to leave with the impression that you don't have to go even on your mana. You can actually still lean towards one color, even if your deck itself, among the cards, doesn't seem to, because of when those cards are most appropriate within the gameplay.
1: Yeah, I uh, drilling down and looking at that data, I think is very important. Um, you know, to throw an example out there, my Azorius deck has an almost even split of the actual card colors. Um, but there's twice as, literally twice as many blue pips as there are white pips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like if I didn't drill down and didn't just look at the card distribution, it'd be easy to say, oh, I want the same amount of white producing lands as I do blue producing lands. That's not at all true in the deck. It's way yeah. hungrier for blue mana than it is white mana. So I need to then then plan accordingly.
0: I mean, there are so many great deck building sites out there, but I know Architect yeah. specifically and Moxfield as well. I use them almost exclusively these days because of all the tools they have. I know they mm-hmm. both have the tool where you put your deck in and it'll show you kind of a a graph and a, a, a pie chart of here's the the mana that your lands are producing here's how much you know any given percentage but then here's how much mana you actually have in the cards and then adjusting the mana base from there I think that's just one thing that's just great about the deck building sites that we have available there's so many different ways that you can help tinker with that and just have it as a visual tool uh, that's available to you, that's something that to me has been invaluable
2: yeah. And, and actually, like just recently, I also used some of those tools and not just the pie chart, but there was also like a bar graph that showed me that in one of my decks, I've got a lot of, you know, black cards among all of the mana costs, but a lot of green cards just at the like high density area, like above three mana, for example. And that is also like an even number maybe it is, but like they are again appearing at different times. So that can influence how it is that you want to have the the mana costs and the mana production and. And pay attention to the pips and like, ah, there's just so many lessons that you can take away from it. And it's just fascinating to look through. So thank you guys for looking through it with me because it's a whole lot of fun. And I hope that everyone leaves this episode feeling
0: very balanced. Eh? eh? I, I, they found their center, at least. We, we can go with that. <laughs> it's still banned. <laughs> Matt's Joey. so much better at this than I am.
2: It's still banned. <laughs> Goodness. All right. With all that, what I think we ought to do by now is probably call this episode to a close. So,
0: uh, fellas, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, where is it that they can find you all? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathimus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can also catch us Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash Recast. We have great guests every single week. There's some games, uh, depending on who wins, they might be better or worse, <laughs> but they're usually fun anyways. And you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach.
1: You can read my articles at EDHREC. And you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all three of us here at patreon.com slash and I'm
2: Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M Schultz on Twitter. And if you want to get in touch with the cast, you can find us at EDHRetCast on both Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us at edhretcast at gmail.com if you have some keen insight or some interesting data points that you want to share, or if you have comments about other color balance stuff as well. Uh, our thanks again to Josh Lee Kwai and the entire team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, thanks to our sponsors, TGG Player and cardkingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHRetCast. Or by visiting cardkingdom.com/idiotrek, and that shows your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember: EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.
0: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance